were gonna call, but Eddie wanted to make it a surprise. Yeah, you surprised? <laughs> surprised, Eddie? <laughs> if I woke up tomorrow with my head sewn to the carpet, I wouldn't be more surprised than I am right now. <laughs> we have plenty of room. <laughs> plenty of towels. <laughs> Plenty uh, of everything. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're pretty well set up there in the RV. You know, it's a little tight, but we didn't come to impose. <laughs> well, there's plenty of room. Yeah, so last week we talked about uh, the surprise guests of the Floundering family. And then, you know, Dan talked about that. If you weren't here, then you should listen to the audio. It's online somewhere. I think you get there from the website. I don't know how to do that stuff. Uh, so Dan will walk you through it if you need to. So this week, I mean, it's a little bit different than what was going on here, but think about you're, you're about to leave on this trip. You're going to go out with Jesus and your family and whoever else is there, I guess the Foundering family, and you're going to go and check out the Christmas lights or something at, you know, Wesley Clover Parks, and then all of a sudden there's this knock on the door, and you're like, somebody already interrupted me, this Floundering family, and now they're going to come with me and we're all going to pack into the van. There's no more room for anybody else, but then... You know, Jesus opens the door because he's Jesus and he lets everybody in and he's nice like that. And it's your rich uncle. And he, he kind of hijacks the situation and, and you're like, man, if he would have come 10 minutes later, we'd have been gone. But instead he, he comes and he interrupts this time that I have with Jesus. And so that, that's, our sto- that's our story in Mark. So if you've been around church for more than like a couple of years, you probably heard sermons on this, and it's called The Rich Young Ruler. Uh, but something that I learned is that only Matthew talks about him being young, and only Luke talks about him being a ruler. But all three of those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, talk about him being wealthy. So I'm going to pretend that I don't know that he's young, and that I don't know that he's a ruler, and we're not going to talk about those things happening. We're just going to talk about his wealth. And so... I think I have a ne- next slide. So this guy shows up, and he asks this question. Oh, yeah. So as Jesus was setting out on the journey, the man came and knelt before him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus doesn't say, well, sir, your question is wrong. He doesn't give him this, uh, like, you, you don't have to do anything to get an inheritance, Right? He's saying, what can I do to inherit eternal life? But to get an inheritance, you don't do anything. When my grandma died, my mom got an inheritance. She didn't do anything. My mom just showed up. My mom was born. You don't do anything to be born. That's not on you. My mom just showed up, and she got this inheritance. So an inheritance is something you just get. You don't earn it. So then instead, Jesus says, he quotes uh, the six commandments. It's the, the second tablet would have had these six commandments. Next slide. I need a clicker. I'll read it. It'll show up on there. Uh, and if you're following along in your pew Bible, and you should, uh, it's on page 716, I think. So verse 18. So Jesus says, verse 19. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. So, these six commandments, they're, they're about how, how we relate with each other. And I think, I think Jesus used these six instead of the first four, because the first four are about how you deal with God. And it talks about, 
Like, remember the Sabbath, put God first, don't have idols. You know, you know the Ten Commandments. So I think, I think Jesus wanted to focus on this, how this guy deals with people, because he probably knew that he wasn't dealing with God very well. And this guy says, well, I, I've been keeping these since my youth. So I just want to talk about, like, like really fast, because this isn't what I really want to talk about. But the, the commandments, when God tells you to do something, it's not like he's giving you this, this law, which he is, but it's, it's a reflection of his character. So when God says don't murder, it's because God's not a murderer. When he says don't steal, it's because God's not a thief. We know the thief is somebody else, and we'll leave that alone. But like, when, when God tells you to do something, God's already done it. It's, it's a reflection of his character. So think about that as we continue along. So then, next slide. Um, I think this is verse... Twenty-one, yeah, verse twenty-one. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. And I added the word therefore, because when you add something yourself, you put it in italics. So I added the word therefore first because Dan said it, and because Dan's smart, so I thought it was a good idea. But then, like, it makes a lot of sense because Jesus loved this guy. Therefore, he told him how he could get eternal life. And that, like, you need to get this in your heart, that Jesus does things for you, not because of how good you are, but because he loves you. So it's not about what this guy did, but Jesus is telling him how to get eternal life because Jesus loves him. So just write that down somewhere. It's important. So, therefore, he says, one thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions and give them to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven Come and follow me. So, in, in Romans 6, 23, and I mean, it, as soon as you read it, you'll be like, oh, I've heard that a million times. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. I mean, it's a free gift. So there's nothing to earn. It's a free gift. God's just handing it out. So, but Jesus tells this guy to give away his stuff to get this free gift. But I think, I think the key is, is verse 21 where he says, well, the, the second half of verse 21 where he says, you give this stuff away and you're going to get uh, treasures in heaven. It's kind of an exchange. It's not that you're just losing something. God doesn't want your stuff. He wants your heart. He doesn't, like God has lots of stuff. He doesn't care about your stuff. He wants your heart. And my wife said it this way. If God has your heart, then you're going to be open-handed with your wealth. You're not going to say, well, this, this is for me. Because you know that if God asks you to give, out, give away your house or all your stuff, like, like he asked this guy, that God's going to give you a different house. He's going to provide for you. He's going to meet those needs. So as most of you probably know, I run my own business. And when I started out, it didn't necessarily make a lot of sense because I had a good job um, and like so I I work in construction and when you work in construction usually the guys are kind of rough and they say a lot of bad words and not nice things about your wife and but that's it's not the construction place where I worked because my boss went to church everybody that worked for us was good guys like mo most of them went to church I mean there's one guy that was kind of sketchy but he he kept his comments to himself but, like, 
And the other thing that you never find in the trades is there, there's always kind of this lull, especially like when the snow starts flying and stuff, and then usually we don't build houses. But that's not what happened. Like we, well, also it was in BC, so that didn't really happen. There was no snow, but we, we, would, we would always be busy. And if, if we had like an in-between time in between a bigger project, then they also had a berry farm. So then we would go prune berries or something where I'm sure they're losing money paying us trades guys to go do like this manual labor, $10 an hour stuff. So this was a good job, but I felt like God was telling me to go out on my own. So then I said, okay, God, I'll do this, but I need a month's worth of work. So then that week I got three calls. I had more than a month's worth of work. So then I did it. And then, but you know, I was still kind of weak in my faith. So then I said, okay, I'm going to say yes to everything. So then, I mean, a big motivation for me to work on my own was so that I had more time with my family and those kind of things, because trades guys work a lot. And so I ended up working like 14 hours a day, and it was awful. And then I realized, you know, God's providing for me. I don't need to work this hard. And if, because like, everybody always wants everything done yesterday. So then if I say no to stuff, then God's still going to provide for me. And so the way that it ended up turning out, I think I, I did about 100 jobs my first year, and there was only two that I quoted that I didn't get, which if you have ever, like, done that kind of stuff where you're quoting jobs, I think the normal is you get like 30%. And I was shooting like 98. So you know that God had his hand on this. So God will provide for your needs. And I figured that out. So as we continue uh, in verse 23 and 24, and Jesus looking around said to his disciples, how hard, is it, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. So when Jesus says something twice, it's not like he said it, you know, far apart. This is, this is one verse after the next. He says the same thing basically twice. Just pay attention, because he's saying it's, it's hard to get into the kingdom of God. And then in, in Matthew 11, I mean, this might seem kind of contradictory. It says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, is it easy or is it hard, Jesus? Because one spot he says it's easy, and the next spot he says it's hard. So I got to think about this, and I think, I think it's, it's hard to make that first step to give away all your stuff, or at least, because like, God's not going to ask all of us to give away all our stuff, or we'd all be poor, and we wouldn't be meeting our budget, because nobody would have money. So obviously, God doesn't want everybody to give away their stuff. But I think it's this idea of we need to be open-handed before God. We need to be surrendered and say, I'm willing to give away all my stuff because I know that you'll provide and, and give me those things that I lack. Which Dan kind of talked about this a little bit in Mark 8. And again, you can go online and find the sermon and listen to it. And if you forget, you should listen to it. Uh, and then in eight, Mark 8, 36, uh, it says, What does it profit a man to gain the world and forfeit his soul? So you think about this wealthy guy. I mean, he had the world. He had, he had all the stuff, and he wasn't willing to trade that for his soul. He wasn't willing to trade that for eternal life, because he's like, I don't know what this treasure in heaven stuff is. I, I want to have this eternal life. I can put it up on my shelf with my party life and my thug life, and it's, it's going to look great. One more thing that I need to have. And he's not giving his heart to God. So if you want to look at the opposite of this, 
Um, and I'm, I'm not going to go through it, but if you want to read Philippians 3 later this week, if you're looking for a reason to read your Bible, read that. And Paul kind of goes through this account where he's like, I gave up all this stuff uh, to follow God, and it was worth it. So you should read that. It's good. I'm not going to. Uh, so on a related side note, because I got thinking about this, because, you know, you hear that question, why is there poverty in the world if God is so good? And I think this, this passage kind of answers that a little bit, because God told this guy, I want you to sell all your stuff and give to the poor. And then the way the passage goes, it kind of sounds like he didn't do it. And so if he didn't do it, then that's poor people that didn't get provided for, and therefore there's poverty. I don't know if that's the whole answer, but I was kind of thinking about that. It makes sense that there might be a little bit of poverty because God calls you to do something, or God calls somebody to do something, and they don't do it, and then your inaction or that person's inaction results in somebody else's lack. So, you know, be listening to what God's telling you to do. So then, we get into, after, after Jesus says this twice, I mean, he basically says it again a third time. He says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So, I mean, again, if you've been around church and you've heard this sermon, you've heard that line, and the person probably, because, I mean, this is the way that I heard it lots of times, is that there, there was this small gate in Jerusalem that was called the eye of the needle, and then it was just hard for a camel to get through there. But the way Jesus is talking, I mean, the, the, the next line, he says, uh, well, actually, the, the next, next verse, verse 27, with people it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So if Jesus is presenting this idea that this is impossible, then that gate analogy doesn't really make sense. And I did some researching, and there's nothing anywhere that provides a fact that says this gate actually exists. So I'm not going to tell you that because I don't think it's true. But the, the idea, apparently this was, this was a saying that, when it went, that was going around, and it was more like, uh, I think they used an elephant instead of a camel, and they would say, like, it's like trying to get an elephant to go through the eye of a needle. And it was just this idiom that they would use to present an idea of something being impossible. But I think, you know, Jesus likes to use things that were around him to make these analogies. Like, you know, he talks about the, the wheat field as he's walking through this wheat field, and he says the harvest is ready and the wheat field is ripe. And so I, I think he's using these things that, that are around him that are, that are making sense. And he's in this home, and he, he's presenting this idea, and I think he probably picked up a needle and he says, you know, like, like the sewing needle, the eye of the needle was the smallest opening in a home at that time. They didn't have microscopes. They didn't know about atoms and all those things. So he says, this eye of the needle. And then the camel was the largest animal in Palestine at that time. So then he says, I've got the smallest opening. I've got the biggest animal. Good luck. You can't do it. So with people, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So, basically, salvation is entirely up to God. You're not going to make it into heaven. You're not going to get eternal life without God. It is impossible. It's like shoving a camel through the eye of a needle. You're just going to hurt the camel, and you're not going to get it done. So, the real-life application comes in verse 29. Truly, which, hold on, the, the word truly, when Jesus says truly, I mean, when, when you think about it, he, or it might... I mean, if you guys are in the Pew Bibles, I think it says, I tell you the truth. It's the same thing. But he, he's saying, 
What I'm going to say is ridiculous, but it's the truth, I promise. It's ridiculous, but it's the truth. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake or for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much in the present age, both houses and brothers, sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. So I got thinking about this. And I, I felt God was calling me to go out to school out west. So I did, and I left all my family and everything here. And I went out there by myself. I mean, I had a friend that went with me. And, and I went to school, and I mean, I didn't even have money really to pay for school, but o OSAP took care of me for the first bit. And I mean, by the time I graduated school, I was able to pay off my student debts within a year, which I think is rare. So I mean, I think that means that God was all over that situation too. But through that, I mean, I met my wife here, but she ended up living 45 minutes away from my school. So that meant that we could hang out lots and that I could trick her into being my girlfriend, which meant that I could trick her into being my wife. And so now I have, I have a mother-in-law, I have a father-in-law, I have a brother-in-law, which that brother-in-law has gained me a sister-in-law. And then I have four kids, I have a wife, so when I'm reading this, I'm like, yeah, I stepped out, I left all my stuff behind, I went across the country, and now I've gained this extra family who are actually moving to North Gore-ish somewhere soon. They're, they're house shopping. So if you know of a house, they're looking. Um, so, verse 31, the last verse in this section. It says, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. And I think, like, that doesn't make any sense. Because if you're first, you're first. I mean, if you've seen Talladega Nights, you're, there, there is no, like, if, if you're second, you're last. First is first. So, when, when you read this, you've got to think, like, God, you're crazy. But God's ranking system is different than our ranking system. And when God says, if you're first, you're going to be last. And if you're last, you're going to be first. And I think about this wealthy man, and he was first. I mean, he, he was the top 1% of society. He had everything going for him. And then Jesus is like, you're last. Whereas Jesus, I mean, he, he was reigning in heaven. He had all this heavenly treasure that we have no idea what that looks like. And he, he, he gave that up. He walked away, and he said, I'm going to go down to earth. I'm going to be born in a stinky stable with a bunch of stinky animals because there wasn't any room in the nice places for me to be born. And then I'm going to live among these people. I'm going to be the lowest servant that washes people's feet. And Jesus is going to be last. And then you know the story. Jesus ends up first, and now he's back up in heaven reigning with God. And So in reality, this is how it plays out. If you want to be first, you're going to end up last. And if you if you play last, then you end up first. And this, this is shown up a couple times already in Mark, and Dan's talked about it. So if you, if you want to be first in heaven, it sounds like you need to live like you're last on earth. So I think, getting back to this wealthy guy, his issue wasn't 
wasn't obedient. He says that he was keeping these six commandments since his youth. So he didn't need one more rule. He didn't need one more thing for him to do. He needed a life change. And I think Jesus said, I want you to get rid of your stuff so that your focus has to shift. You can't rely on your bank account anymore. Now you have to rely on the reality that God's going to provide for your needs just like he provides for the sparrows and the flowers and all those other things. He didn't need one more thing. He didn't need another task. And I think, I don't think Jesus is going to call us all to give away all our stuff. Like I said, I think that would probably play out badly for the church if everybody was poor. But I think God is going to call us to give away something that we are holding tighter than Jesus. Jesus needs to be your number one thing. Otherwise, God's probably going to say, well, I need you to give that to me. He might tell you to do it spiritually and and give that up and just let him hold it. Or he might actually tell you, you know, I need you to give that to the poor, give it to Valley Village or whatever, because you think that's more important than God. But I'll let you and God sort that out. But the point is that you can't get into heaven on your own. In our Christmas passage, uh, Matthew 1.21, it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You know, it it doesn't say that I'm going to do something. It says that Jesus is going to save his people from their sins. So Jesus is doing the work. Jesus is doing that one last thing that I couldn't do, that this guy couldn't do. He's going to do that one last thing. So I don't think you have to give away all your stuff. Sort that out with God. Um, But I think that you do have to let God have ownership of all your stuff. And I think he'll probably let you keep it if you can have the right heart attitude about it. So, yeah, but it's like I said earlier, God doesn't want your stuff. In Matthew 6, 21, it says, for where, your heart, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if my treasure is Jesus, and I know that Jesus is in heaven, then my heart is going to be in heaven. If my treasure is in my bank account, then my heart's going to be in my bank account, and then I'm going to be focused on that, If my heart is in my popularity and how many friends I have on Facebook, which, I mean, Facebook's not even cool anymore, or Instagram or wherever you have all your friends, and if you lose that, you're going to be sad. But if if your heart and your treasure is Jesus, and it's in heaven, and you're set, it's going to be good. It's going to turn out good. And I think especially this time of year at Christmas, we're rushing around, and we're we're trying to, to do this stuff. We're trying to get one more thing for that special person on our list because everybody needs one more Christmas gift. And, and I think about this and I think if Jesus is handing out this free gift of eternal life and there's probably somebody on everybody's list that doesn't know Jesus, maybe this Christmas, and I mean, you should still give them a gift, don't be stingy, but you should, you should, maybe you should tell them about this free gift. Tell them that God's offering eternal life. Dan's talking about this every week. And if you want to hear about it, then you should come on Sunday. Or if they're younger, you can send them to youth. It's on Wednesdays at 7. I'll be there too.